There are as many ways to parent as there are parents in this world, but there is one way to parent that wins every time, and that's doing it intentionally. This show is about helping things go right before they can go wrong. Each episode is chosen to help parents like you, who may be overwhelmed or uninspired, find the ideas and motivation to give their best efforts to the people and place that matters the most. I'm Dr. Tim Thane, author of the book and host of the podcast, Not By Chance. I believe that a family's success and happiness is not by chance. So welcome to the podcast built especially for intentional families. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. We are on our third episode of the Take Me Home series where members of the Homeward Bound team share experiences around the idea of going home again. And today we have a special treat for you. We have four of our team members. The first one is by Jeanette, and I actually heard her share her story at our recent advance here at Homeward Bound. And I have to tell you, I'll just let you brace yourself a little bit. You will feel some emotions. You might even shed a tear or two, but it's an amazing story. She'll be followed by Emily, one of our transition coaches out in the Philadelphia area, and uh, we're really grateful to have her on our team. Emily is followed by Eddie, who's in Colorado, and I was able to hear his story as well at, at this uh, last advance, and you're going to get some laughs out of that for sure. And the last one today is Haley. Haley lives in Utah, and she's one of our our more hipper and cooler coaches. She's younger and an amazing coach already. So I think you're going to love what they have to share, and I hope it evokes some emotions for you and some memories for you about going home. Hi, my name's Jeanette, and I want to tell you a story about a really cool guy, my dad. Growing up, he was just that, a dad. He taught me how to ride a bike, helped me with my math, wiped away my tears, and kicked my butt when I needed it. We had a lot of fun together. He was pretty soft-spoken and gentle, but he was tough when he needed to be. He loved fart jokes, Harley Davidsons, stray animals, and peanuts, the ones in the salty shell and the dry roasted ones that come in a jar. But before he was my dad, he was a rock star. He never made it famous, but he lived out his dream of playing in a band. He was the lead singer of a band called Four Good Reasons. They played at a bar in Vail, Colorado. He played the guitar and the mandolin and was also the lead singer. He drove a gold stingray Corvette. I can only imagine how cool he was. No wonder my mother was smitten by him. Although I didn't get to see my dad as a rock star, he brought music into my life. We grew up going camping in our green and white nomad trailer and fishing in our little tin boat on the beautiful and pristine fish lake. My dad was always trying to catch a big mackinaw in between untangling our fishing lines. Every night without fail, we would sit around the campfire all snuggled up <clears throat> and my dad would play the guitar and we would all sing along. Our favorites were from John Denver, the Beatles and Peter, Peter Paul and Mary. I didn't know any different, and I just thought everyone did that. My favorite song of all time was Back Home Again by John Denver. Hey, it's good to be back home again. Sometimes this old farm feels like a long-lost friend. My home definitely felt like a long-lost friend. We lived out in the country and had lots of animals. 
My dad bred labs, and we always had random litters of kittens. One night, I was sleeping out on the deck with my siblings. When we awoke in the morning, we kept hearing little meowing sounds, and we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We frantically searched underneath the deck and all around the yard, trying to figure out where the sound was coming from. We were baffled. When I went to gather up my sleeping bag to put it away, it felt a little heavy. I looked down in the bottom of my sleeping bag, and there was the mother cat and all of her kittens. She had crawled down in my sleeping bag in the middle of the night and given birth to her kittens. My childhood wasn't especially outrageous, but it was full of little experiences like this. I cherished the times with my dad. As I grew up and got married, my dad's health started to deteriorate. He was still always around with a smile, but I knew he never felt well. He still continued to play the guitar and sing for us every chance we had. We still tried to go camping and share the campfire experiences with our own kids. Luckily, my older brother inherited my dad's talent of singing and playing the guitar, so they would often sing together and we would all join in. This became so special to all of our family. We would even gather around on Christmas Eve when we were all together and have a sing-along. My dad's health continued to get worse. He was diabetic and often his blood sugar would drop so low in the middle of the night that we, he would have to be rushed to the hospital. He would spend a few days in the ICU until he was able to come back home again. This continued to become more and more frequent and combined with other health issues, he was losing his strength and will. I take pride in the fact that my mom knew she could always call me when my dad was sick and I would be there. One night it got really bad. My mom called me in the middle of the night, and I rushed over. He was really sick and could hardly even get out of bed to go to the bathroom. We knew he needed to get to the hospital immediately, or he wouldn't make it. We kept begging him to try and get up with our help, and he just shook his head. He looked at me and pointed toward heaven. I said, Dad, do you want to go home? And he gave me a nod. As hard as it was for us to accept, we knew this was his time. We called hospice, and they came right away and set up a hospital bed right in his bedroom. I dressed the bed carefully and lovingly with Harley Davidson sheets, and we got him all comfortable and situated. My whole family came and gathered around his bedside, and I'm sure you can imagine the scene. My brother pulled out his guitar, and we started our campfire sing-along. We all joined in singing, Back Home Again. It's the sweetest thing I know of, just spending time with you. It's the little things that make a house a home. Like a fire softly burning and supper on the stove, the light in your eyes that makes me warm. We were all together that night as my dad went home. We didn't have a spectacular life, but we had all the little things that matter most. And to us, our dad was a rock star. Just the other day, I was cleaning out my car, and I found a jar of dry roasted peanuts under the seat from our last road trip, my dad's favorite. I was so famished, so I popped it open and started eating them. All of a sudden, I had this overwhelming feeling of my dad being right there with me. So we ate peanuts together and chatted about life. I know he's back home again, but I know he's watching over me and my family until we meet again. As a bonus parent, I didn't get the opportunity to watch your children grow from the beginning stages. I didn't get that moment when you walk in the front door and the little one comes running up to give you a hug so excited to see you after a really long work day. 
I, over time, have gotten the uh, the teenage grunt. Somewhere between a greeting and a warning sign that they need space. As a coach, I get the opportunity to utilize my experience within my own household. It's how I try to stay authentic. Practice what you preach. This oftentimes results in unfavorable limits and expectations from my teens. Most times I hear, but other kids get to have their phone all night, or I don't understand why we have to do our homework before we get our games. I let my teens vent out their frustration, advocate for themselves, and occasionally I recommend they do their own research to determine if a rule should be adjusted. I've gone so far as to tell my guys that the next time they have a doctor's appointment, ask the pediatrician if she thinks it's a good idea for them to have their phones all night. If it's a yes, then I'll end the rule. They never really ask, and well, I know what my pediatrician's going to say. One weekend, I was headed to my first family home visit since maternity leave. It was heart-wrenching to leave my three-month-old at home. I typically do not think my grunting teenagers miss me often or even pay attention to the fact that I am gone for the weekend. I call home and check in as frequently as I am able. While gone this time, I received text messages from all three of my teenage boys sending me pictures of their baby brother. I even received a text message from my 15-year-old who said, You know, I don't like your rules, but I thought about it. They work. I'm doing really well in basketball, my schoolwork. I really am doing so much better than before. It was exciting to celebrate his wins from afar. Being a bonus mom has its challenges. You're coming into an already established family with your own perspectives on how a household should run and assimilating as a parental unit as this stranger to some degree. There are days that I really daydream of what it may have been like to hold these young men as babies. Would they be excited when I walked through the front door when they were four? Would they run to me, arms wide open, and give me the biggest hug? I recall when our oldest, now 25, would wait for me at the front steps of the house after I returned from a retreat. He would have his head down looking at something or daydreaming. I could see him as I drove up, pick his head up at every car that drove by before mine. And just as I started parallel parking in front of the house, he he would jump up and run to the car, full excitement and ready to tell me about everything I had missed. Now, with an 11, 13, 15, and 5-month-old, they each show me glimmers of home differently. My 13-year-old will ask when I will be home, and if I am more than 10 minutes late, he comes downstairs to ask my wife why I'm late and how much longer. Once that car pulls up, though, and I come out of the driveway and I go upstairs and I put my suitcase in my bedroom, he sneak attacks me with a hug. My 11-year-old will ignore that I am going anywhere that weekend until it's the day of. Then you see signs of sadness. He's the one to give me a good hug when I leave and make sure to let me know he will help take care of the baby while I am gone. 
He always does an amazing job helping his mom with any loose ends he knows I'm usually the one to cover. My 15-year-old hasn't been around much in this last year. And quite honestly, on this last trip, I was not sure how he would react to me traveling. He seemed fine with me being gone, and there weren't too many teenage indications. He was upset I would miss Labor Day weekend. It's been the toughest on the two of us to set expectations, explore opportunities, and work together as a family. On this particular trip, I drove home and saw from the front window the curtain peel back in the flash of that moment. He had the greatest excitement. He was smiling from ear to ear. I could see that connection of what it may have been like to know him as a toddler. I went to turn the knob on the door of the house only to have it open for me with our three-month-on-one hip and my 15-year-old with the hugest smile on his face give me the greatest hug. In that connection, I knew what it must have been like for him to be a toddler and me to have come home work just as I had daydreamed times before. There's something about time away from home. I may not have gotten to see the first steps of our oldest four boys or experienced them running up to me as toddlers after a long day of work, but there is something different when you've had to work at a relationship as we all have. It is a whole new experience of coming home. That's what this work is all about. After a long weekend of working with a family, I am reminded to take it home. The amazing work we do, the passion we have, and the family values we encapsulate. A few years ago, my buddies and I went on a ski trip the week after Christmas. All three of our wives were pregnant, and this should have been an indication that this was not a smart idea. My buddies didn't help me out either, as they both had older boys, and they should have known better. I was the new one here. I didn't know any better. We piled into my wife's Jeep Liberty CRD 4x4, which was the best option we have if we encountered some snow on the trip. We were driving from Texas all the way up to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and it was a great time. Ben, one of the guys on the trip, is a artist type, funny, awkward at times, but a lot of fun. Justin is a big, boisterous personality, the best kind of guy to watch a show or a movie like Bruce Almighty because he's going to have an outrageous laugh to go with it. Um, he was the kind of guy that would ask things that weren't quite appropriate for the situation, but that's part of what made it funny. Um, it was a great time for the three days that we were there, skiing, snowboarding, doing all the great stuff. Uh, but the last day, we knew that a storm was blowing in. Uh, we had got word that it was going to be a pretty big one, and we had a decision to make. We could either ski for half a day and drive home or leave early and try, and try to beat the storm. I failed to mention as part of the story, I was the only one who had driven in snow before. They had zero experience. So we decided to leave early and start driving. About two hours into the drive, it started to snow. We drove through another seven plus hours through that snow. It's beautiful down through the heart of Colorado, but with every inch of snow piled onto the road, uh, both of them are getting no, more nervous. 
Justin is polling on the OS handle in the car. If you don't know what that is, ask a teen near you. Um, and sometimes he's muttering under his breath. Ben, on the other hand, is singing to whatever is playing along on the radio from the back seat. Finally, we made it to Pueblo because the Rotone Pass over into New Mexico was shut down. Had a good dinner, went and watched a uh, night at the museum at the theater and tried to get some sleep. The next morning, we got up, got on the road, and the snow on I-25 was piled up high enough that if I rolled down the windows on my Jeep Liberty, I could touch the piles of snow on the side of our car. The Raton Pass was still closed, so we had to head west towards Alamosa, then drop south to Albuquerque, all while driving on highways that really weren't highways at all. They were two-lane roads, and they were only partially clear of snow that had gotten in the three- to four-foot range. With every turn and every inch of snow, Justin continues to pull on the OS handle, and Ben continues to sing from the back seat, and I'm still driving. Slowly, we made our way down through New Mexico towards I-40, stopped at a gas station, and made a turn onto the interstate. That interstate would take us straight to Texas, and we thought we were home free. Just a few miles later, all we see are red taillights and cars as far as we can see over the next hill. We stopped and sit in our Jeep for over two hours. I'm getting antsy by this time. Justin is sleeping. Ben is still singing. I get out of the Jeep because I'm frustrated. I want to see what's going on. I walk over into the median. The snow is up past my knees, even down that far south. I walk to the other side of the highway, which is completely clear. Apparently, they had shut down the highway in both directions. We aren't going anywhere. It's dark. I'm hungry. I want to get home. So I did what any logical person would do. I began to stomp down a path across the median. I figured the worst that could happen is that we would get stuck trying and have another adventure of trying to find someone to pull us out. Best case scenario, we could go back the other direction, back towards Albuquerque. After a while, Ben and Justin wonder what I'm doing. I tell them. They groggily put on boots and come out to help a bit. We spent more than an hour stomping our path across that medium, what we hope would be our path to freedom. Other people around us begin to ask what's happening, and as we line up the Jeep to make the attempt, others in cars are cheering us on. I put the Jeep into four-wheel low, go to the edge, and punch it. We make the turn in the median and bust out of the snow-filled area back onto the highway going the other direction. Freedom! We drive all the way back to Albuquerque, catch the last room in a motel, and get about six hours of sleep. Day three, I-40 is still closed in both directions. We decide to head south to El Paso before driving to our homes in North Houston. It's the only way we can avoid the snow and ice at that point. Fifteen hours later that day, a total of 35-plus hours of driving over three days' time, two of which was in snowmageddon we made it home to our three pregnant wives who are all still anxiously awaiting for us at justin's house two days past our intended arrival i hugged my wife and in my tired road weary delusional state all i could mutter to my seven month pregnant wife was oh i think you got bigger so I was what many would call a spunky kid growing up. I asked a lot of questions and had a lot of feelings. I remember this experience where I had to be a part of a special reading group because my reading level was behind for my age. 
This group met during my classmates' free time, and I hated it. I was so embarrassed, and I remember feeling, you know, pretty bad about myself. It was my turn to read, and lo and behold, I decided to say no. The kind little TA asked me again, and I proceeded with another no. Then I got up, ran out the door, and ran straight to my house. The school was only three blocks away from where I lived, so I knew the parts really well. Um, You know, this experience really affected my confidence over the next few years of school. It wasn't until I made it to college that I found a love for learning and that I was actually far more capable than I even knew. Growing up, I didn't have much. By much, I mean things. I had a lot of love. I had a lot of siblings, but not a lot of extras. I'll circle back to this in a little bit. When I was in my undergrad finishing up my degree in public health, I went on a study abroad to Thailand. The intention of this trip uh, was to increase my knowledge of health transitions taking place throughout different parts of northern Thailand. Lots of focus on epidemiology and nutrition. Uh, As you can see, my studies had nothing to do with social work, therapy, or coaching. I was about two weeks into my study abroad Um, When I had an experience that, you know, really changed the outcome of my entire career path. I visited this orphanage called the Agape Home. This beautiful place housed over 90 children who were HIV positive. All of which had been born from mothers who had been looked down upon in society and did not have a place to raise their children. When I first walked in, I felt an abundance of love and connection. I didn't see a bunch of sick kids. I saw little feet kicking soccer balls. Sweet teenage girls playing with each other's hair. Caretakers rocking babies to sleep. And young, curious, beautiful minds looking up at me and wondering what I was doing and why I looked different than them. We shared a meal together and played on the swings. This was their home, and being in it for the six hours that I was changed me. The woman who started the organization shared her experience of how a planned two-week service trip to Thailand ended up being a lifelong journey of living, serving, and providing a beautiful home for these sweet babies and adolescents. She shared why she named the orphanage the Agape Home. Agape means the love of God is unconditional. She wanted everyone who entered that home to feel love even though the world sometimes made them feel just the opposite. This experience, along with my upbringing and just an immense desire to learn, led me on the path to social work, therapy, and ultimately here to Homeward Bound. I think back on my time in Thailand frequently. I remember thinking to myself while I was there, how? How do these people do it? How do they find so much joy, even though they were dealt some of the worst cards I have literally ever seen? I think I know what it was, though. It was their outlook, as well as their sweet innocence for not knowing anything but what they had. They loved the little things, like a new chapstick or some donated cookies. The few months following my return home were ones full of emotion, gratitude, soul-searching, and fullness. I'll take the not-a-lot-of-things any day, because you know what I did have? I had safety, I had laughter, I had joy, and I had a home full of love.
just like these sweet homes I visited, it wasn't about what was in it, but who was in it. I will always consider the Agape home one of the most precious homes I've ever been to. I just hope that I can provide that same feeling of connection and kindness to others when they step into my home or when I step into theirs. Parents, your time is valuable and I'm grateful you spent some of it with us. What you're intentionally doing in your home life is inspiring and unmatched in its importance and long-term effects. Ask yourself, what am I going to do because of what I've learned today?